Welcome to Clear Headed. I'm so happy you're here. It's very LA of me, but I want to start every episode with one big deep breath. So if you're out running errands or you're sipping your first cup of coffee or tea in the morning, or maybe you're winding down for bed, I want you to join in. So breathe in and breathe out. Okay, let's get clear-headed. When have you felt the most confident? In this episode, I sit down with actress and model Hannah Faust to discuss her journey to complete confidence. We talk about how she faced her eating disorder, how she navigates current challenges with self-image, and wrap up with tips on how to feel sexy for Valentine's Day. If you worry that you struggle with compulsive food behaviors, there are resources available to you. For more information, go to theclearheadedpodcast.com or see the notes for this episode. Here's Body Love. When I think about you, Hannah, I think about the utmost confidence in yourself, both your personality, I feel like you're very confident in who you are, in your body, in your sexuality, in your sex appeal. You make me feel like I can be confident because you're leading the way. And confidence to me, I feel like in our society is somehow very rare. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of uh, confidence that's forced or confidence that there's pressure to have maybe when you don't have it Mm -hmm. i think there's also a lot of pressure to um like hide it if you do have it there's a lot of like anxiety and depression pressure you know oh my god that seems to be the thing now is that everyone's talking about their how they feel bad about themselves which i think is totally fantastic but with the social media and platforms and the way in which we speak to each other now it kind of feels like everything's a trend um so it's hard it's like really hard not to feel pressure from every way shape and direction have you been so i'm taking it that you've been feeling that lately yes well i mean it's crazy because i do feel it even from like the body looks perspective i've had this conversation with three thousand people where it's like i absolutely love everything about the way that i look and about my body and i don't really want to change anything but it's like i am I use those little Instagram filters that make your nose really tiny and like your cheeks really high and like your lips just a little bit bigger. And I, I think to myself like, oh, should I make tweaks, you know? And then I, and then I like snap out of it and it's like, oh no, I shouldn't. Yeah. So how do you snap out of it? Because Hmm. I, I view you as somebody who completely sees all of their beauty, is very aware of your beauty, which for some reason, not really for some, I mean, society, hello, and being a woman and having these pressures to either be super sexy or to cover up. I mean, there's so many things that go into owning and seeing yourself for what you really are, apart from the filters and the stereotypes and the expectations. My formula is that everyone has to have, find their anchor. You have to have an anchor that is significantly heavier than 
everything that is pulling you or distracting you. So if the things that are pulling you or distracting you are your insecurities there, the Instagram filters there, some hot like new TikTok star that everyone wants to look like, or some sort of body trend that's happening, anything like that, you have to make sure that whatever your anchor is, it's heavier than those things. So for me, my anchor is full of a bunch of stuff. Number one, I like that there's a lot of meaning to me that I look like my parents. I don't want to change my face because I don't want to, oh, 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 I'm going to cry. <sighs> Did you mean to do that? No, I love that. I don't want, I don't want to not look like my parents, you know? I don't want to not look like my brother and my sister. I love them. They're, they like gave me life. And I want when I have kids someday to for them to look like me. And so if I start messing with my face, I don't know that that's going to happen. I'm just going to say this right now. This is not a judgment on anyone who messes with their face. Course, I like course, totally support whatever you want to do, whatever you want to change. You want to get a nose job. You want to shoot all the injectables into your face, like do whatever you want. For me, this is part of my anchor, the yes. heavy thing. I really want to look like my family. Another thing that is in my heavy little anchor is my career. I'm an actress and when I think about the kinds of roles that are really meaningful to me and the kind of actors that I want my career to be like them, there is no trend. There's no evidence of trendy face, trendy body, looking younger than they are. I am 30, I don't look like I'm a, in my 20s or a teenager, and my career is ahead of me, and I know that I, I'm going to play roles of women that are in their 30s, 40s, 50s. That's great. I love it. That's like very important to me, so that's part of my anchor. I think that you got to find what your anchor is and make sure that it's so important that when you step back and you look past a year from now, past three years from now, past five years from now, and you look at your life as a whole, what is important and feeling the urge to lose weight, gain weight, change how your body looks, whether it's surgically, non-surgically, whatever, is that something that is going to support what's in your anchor? If it is, go off. Right. I mean, it sounds really simple. Like find your anchor figure out what solidifies you and stick to it and it'll weigh you down going back to the two things that you mentioned in your anchor you have family wanting to stay similar and recognizable and in your niche of your family and then in your career what when did you figure those out I mean because hmm. everybody's anchor like you said is different how did you get there one thing that I want to say is I just turned 30 and a lot of that stuff really just comes with age. It's so true. I'm sure that's really frustrating if you're a 22 year old that's really experiencing a lot of struggle with mm -hmm. being comfortable with yourself. Mm -hmm. It's probably annoying to hear like it'll just come with age, but I also hope that it's a little freeing. Right. I always find that when I feel like someone tells me what you're experiencing has a lot to do with the environment that you're in yeah, and that that will change and that will free you and you don't have to do anything, it will just do it on its own, and you're not alone, that helps me. Yeah. I'm a control freak, and I think that sometimes I feel frustrated when I am not in control of mm -hmm. things, and then sometimes I feel very freed yeah. by acknowledging what I'm not in control of. Absolutely, I too am a control freak, and I, I do think that because I did just get this answer of age and I was uh, on another episode about happiness. And when I reflected on that, I thought, well, is it really age? Because I look at people who are older and they don't get it. It hasn't clicked for them. And what I think it is and what 
I feel like you're expressing to me is it's time in your feelings yes. and sitting in your reality and acknowledging how you're feeling, where you're struggling, where you're strong and being present in that lapse of time. Does that come with age? Yes, because time is age and, and we all age over time. Mm-hmm. For you to have at 30 sat in your feelings enough, sat aware in your body, in your confidence, that to me is what I'm taking away from your answer. Yeah, you're totally right. And I mean, age isn't the only thing. It it does contribute so much. Yes. But you're right. It is about sitting in your feelings. And I got sober when I was 20, oh God, when I was 23. I use the term sober generally in public when the technical term that I should use is abstinent. Um, the reason why I don't use that is because when I say that, people automatically think sex. Oh my gosh, they I did. They automatically sure. think sex. And I was like, I don't think that's the that case you're, with you're your like, boyfriend who's buying a house. <laughs> I am in a 12-step program for eating disorders and compulsive food behaviors. I'm not an alcoholic. I choose not to drink as a support system for that program. There's also lots of other drugs that I choose not to do as a support system for that program. But in my program, we use the term abstinent. I don't know why. Okay. I, like, I don't know why the difference, and I don't really know the history behind that. But usually when I say that, people automatically think of sex. And so I tend, because I don't drink and it's like I am in a 12-step program, I usually in casual conversation will use the term sober and then explain it a little bit more when I'm like getting into conversation with people. But this means that I am seven years into progr- into a 12-step program, which is exactly all of the same literature and everything from AA, from you know any other anonymous 12-step program. And everyone gets to define their own abstinence in that program because eating disorders and compulsive food behaviors are so different for everyone. Certain tools that some people rely on for their abstinence are things that I can't do. And not doing that is part of my abstinence. So it's like, it's very unique and totally dependent on you and your own experience. And it requires you to be totally honest all the time. Wow. So there's never a hard and fast rule. My abstinence has changed over time. I have to evaluate my abstinence pretty much every day. And it's a lot of work. (laughs) I can't imagine because food is like, you have to eat it. You have to eat it. It's, I, I like to say, it's like, imagine if you had to have a drink three times a day at minimum. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's tough. But part of the reason why I want to give that background is because I started engaging in my food behaviors as early as five. And then I didn't really seek. I started seeking help when I was 20. I didn't join my program until I was 23. So that's 18 years of every single day being consumed by my eating disorder and my disease. So prior to going to program, I was crazy. And I mean, I don't mean that in like a derogatory way, but sometimes I think back to the way that my daily life looked like was such an intense roller coaster. And the way in which um, my eating disorder and my disease and my concerns around my body and the way that I looked and what I ate and what I put in my mouth and what I didn't put in my mouth was so all-encompassing that it amazes me that I could keep a job wow. or go to school or do all of those things at, at the same time. Sometimes I forget how this actually just happened recently. There's this amazing book that just came out by Melissa Broder called Milk Fed. And it's like a very hot novel right now. 
and I read it and I loved it, but it's very much from the perspective of this main character who has a raging, raging eating disorder. And I remember when I was reading it, I told my boyfriend, I was like, I could have written this. Like, I could have written this book. This is so accurate to the way that, not all of the same techniques, but a, a lot of the same experience. And so I recommended it to a friend and 10 pages in, she was like, I can't read this. I can't be inside this person's mind. This is insufferable. I'm not going to enjoy this. And I was like, oh. <laughs> what an interesting right. check to your perspective. Yeah. How different what you have gone through and what you seem as like relatable and oh my gosh, thank God somebody else has been there. Somebody else reads that reality and goes, I couldn't even, mm -hmm. I can't even get 12 pages in. Yeah, and and that it would be like not enjoyable to them. And it was really interesting to read it and think that that's where I used to be for so long and how far away I am from that now. The percentage of those thoughts that she was expressing, this character was expressing in the book compared to, I have maybe 5% of those thoughts now, which wow. is nuts what i mean a cool landmark or milestone to look back on and and compare but and what a gift to to just be able yeah. to even to be able to rem to get from a hundred percent down to five percent if you had told me in my first meeting that i could do that i would have never believed you what took you to your first meeting i realized it's, this is so insane, but I truly, I was 20 before I even thought, maybe I have an issue with food. My eating disorder was so good at remaining unseen that when I look back and I look at all the things that I was doing, it blows my mind. I mean, I went through a phase in high school where I was taking so much Adderall every day that I would eat one apple and that was it. And I did that for so long that I had a psychotic break from reality Wow! and had like an incident where I literally the pieces in my the synapses in my brain snapped and it was horrible and traumatic and awful and it was this terrifying night with my parents not even after that did I think that I had an issue with food or that anything was associated with my eating was that because the people who are around you were mirroring your habits or no what was it I think that my mother has admitted that she noticed that something was wrong and never said anything. Okay. But I think at the end of the day, my eating disorder was so good at controlling the way that I looked that it never became alarming. And the problem with our society is that we only recognize eating disorders when we have a girl that is 17 and 90 pounds. Oh, and that is the true. only time that we ever, that anyone ever notices or clocks it. Oh, it's so true. Or intervenes. And my disease, I think I knew that. My disease knew that and mm -hmm. just never let me get there. Mm -hmm. I would fluctuate in my weight, but never too far. Mm -hmm. And when people started noticing changes in my body, I would pivot. My disease would push me very restrictive. If people started commenting on me losing weight, then I would shift into like a binge period where I would go back up. And then I would hate myself for the weight that I gained. And then I would push more restrictive and go back down and it was just it was so powerful and it was so good at its job and it sounds exhausting yes exhausting yes. yeah did you get exhausted and you ended up at that meeting so what happened was I went through all of that and I never 
thought about it. And then I was 20 years old. I had just moved to LA. I didn't know anyone. This was like at the dawn of Netflix. And so I was just like kind of sitting in my apartment by myself all the time, like watching shows. And I was a few months into being in LA and I was like, oh, I should watch the OC. I never watched that growing up. And then Kirsten has that alcoholism storyline. And I sat there watching it by myself in my apartment like, hmm, this feels so familiar. <laughs> oh my gosh, the OC. Kirsten from the OC is who I have to thank. So well, thank you, Kirsten. <laughs> so you so you're so you're watching the OC. You're going, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing something. Mm-hmm. The first thing I did was I Googled like seeking out a support group because Again, a lot of people don't know that there's a 12-step. I have no idea. Exists for compulsive food behaviors. It totally exists. Please seek it out if you are having any sort of struggle with body image or food or you feel like maybe you're you're not a normal eater, quote unquote. So I went to a support group that in retrospect, now knowing what I know, I'm like, those therapists should have their license taken away <gasps> just because the way that they approached it. I know that they had good intentions, but they just were not properly educated. And I didn't, it just like, it didn't give me what I needed. And I had moments of recovery and and lots of moments of non-recovery. And then when I started seeing my therapist at 22, we were, hmm, gosh, I was seeing her for about a year before she, and she knew about all of my food issues. And eventually she brought up, maybe I should seek out that program. And so then I sought out the program and I just never looked back. Wow. So what was different that time around? 12 step is the answer, baby. I mean, sometimes I get my, I get so blown away that 12 step programs exist and that they that they're I get blown away I think that there's an answer and I guess I should preface this by saying I'm not I don't like pray at the altar of 12 step in the sense of I'm not like hard and fast like once you join you can never leave and you can never mm-hmm. take a break and you got to do you got to immediately get a sponsor and immediately work the steps and all of those things but I think that the existence of that program and the principles within that program and the tools that they offer you should you choose to use the ones that are helpful to you they really are the answer and I also think that the biggest most important shift for me was looking at my disease like an addiction and not like a frivolous thing that they make fun of on tv shows wow yeah taking it seriously yes and also acknowledging that I will For me, acknowledging that I will never be a normal eater and that this is something that I will have to pay attention to every day for the rest of my life was freeing. It was really freeing because I had an answer. Yeah. And there, I would say in my first three years of program, I would frequently have like weeks at a time or days at a time where I just felt like a little grumpy teenager that was like, I don't want to be an addict. Like... (sighs) Right. I don't want to have to deal with this for the rest of my life. Can I just take a break? You know? Yeah. Um, But that's just not my truth. And I think the older I've gotten and the more I've sat in my own feelings and all the things that we've already mentioned, the easier that hard truths sink in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important to share. So thank you for sharing, one, everything you just said, and two, that you had moments of, ugh, come on because because I think so often we tell ourselves okay like you said I'm gonna have an answer and then I'm gonna have the answer and I'm gonna love the answer I'm gonna get all this freedom from this answer and sometimes it's just not that way it's part of the process of like shrugging your shoulders and being grumpy and not really wanting to I mean I had to like grieve the idea that I could ever drink normally I had to Mm -hmm. grieve it 
You do. And, And I think the more that you can understand it to anybody who's listening, who can prep themselves and just really know what's, what's, what you're going to walk into, it's easier to then stay with it. It is. Yeah. I mean, we say this phrase a lot, keep coming back keep coming back. I mean, I remember when I first told some friends from home that I had identified that I had this issue. So many people asked me, oh, but you're good now, right? Mm. And for me to sit in this position of I will never be good is honestly, it's frustrating, but it's so empowering. Yeah. And I am almost seven years into this experience and I have probably have more like recovery in my life now than I ever had. I feel healthier. I feel better. I feel I feel like my eating disorder is like teeny tiny and like so little and with yeah. super weak and with no strength. And there even in the past month was this food behavior that kind of popped up that I've never had before. Yes. Let's talk like, about when things pop up. How do you see it, acknowledge it, move through it? I got to say it. I have to say it to someone. Okay. I can't tell you how many moments I've had where I have like a safe person that I want to, I, I talk to these things about and I don't have necessarily any intention to talk to them about it, but we get in this conversation and prior to this conversation, I was struggling and I was struggling and I was struggling and then I start talking about it and by the time my sentence is finished, I'm like, oh, that's it. So I definitely have to say it and that's hard. That usually takes me some time even now. I'll see it, I'll notice it, I'll think about it, and I'll have a couple, I'll have like a couple interactions with friends or with safe people where in my mind I'm like, say it, say it. You know you want to talk about it. Just do it. And then I don't, and I get scared. And I like, you know, I I kind of grip on and I, I can't. And I usually have like two or three of those before I land on like the right conversation and the right person where it comes out. And I, as soon as that happens, I'm free of it. And it's not to say that it's not there anymore. It's right. that I, it's like, I've taken the power back. Totally. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. That's mm-hmm. so comforting to hear because I too like to vocalize when I'm having struggles. And for some reason, it's like, I know what I need to do in order to take the power away. Doesn't mean it's easy. Doesn't mean it's going to take a couple times. I mean, you, you're seven years in you probably have more of like a workout done emotionally where you have had enough time to and and instances to like get comfortable vocalizing if it's new and you haven't said something before or you're not comfortable like articulating how you're feeling or you're not even comfortable like putting words to how you're feeling you just know you're having like an internal struggle or you're reaching a red flag for your body for your health for something like it's okay to maybe sit on it for a minute yeah I think workout is a great word to use for that because it really is an emotional and mental um, exercise. I I go to a weightlifting gym now, which is, it's new. (laughs) I'm just a few months into it, but it's like my new lifestyle. I'm only five months into it. I'm a baby. There are people at my gym that are like weightlifters and it's like, we're still doing the same class. We're just making adjustments on what our capabilities are. And so I feel like in this situation, 
I'm the professional weightlifter. I'm the emotional professional, professional weightlifter, weightlifter, you know. Yes. But there are other people in my class that are on their way and yes. like keep going. You'll get there. Sign up for the emotional gym. That's yes. what you can do <laughs> by showing up, by admitting it just to yourself in your head, writing in a journal. You're signing up for the gym. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the metaphor I use for therapy a lot is like I think a lot of people look at therapy or you know, replace with any kind of emotional work that you want to if therapy's not accessible to you. Mm -hmm. People look at that as something that you have to do when something's wrong. And I think you need to think about it as like physical fitness. If you just never worked out ever again, you would be in pretty bad shape. Yeah. You got to go move your body a couple times a week. And you're going to be sore. Yeah. You're going to be real sore and stiff. Yeah. And you, it goes you back gotta to your, do it. your keep coming back. Mm-hmm. Just push through that soreness. It will get easier. It's okay to take a rest too if it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Like this didn't just happen overnight for you. This happened once when you were 20. You went to a meeting that was kind of misguided. Mm-hmm. You decided to go back. Mm-hmm. And here we are seven years later and X amount of emotional workouts and now it feels small and it feels like maybe part of you but doesn't define you. Mm-hmm. And that takes time. Yeah, you know, it's my little my little dark passenger, you know. I'm never going to be without my disease or without my eating disorder, but I can do, I'm doing everything I can to make that motherfucker weak and just incapable of doing anything. Amazing. Yeah. I want to wrap up because next week is Valentine's Day, which oh, yeah. which can be a little intimidating for some, mm-hmm. I think, to feel sexy for your partner or honestly just sexy for yourself. Lean into this day of love. If you could give a tip on how to feel really sexy, confident in your body, in your truth, in your personality, what would it be? I'm going to speak about partners and that can be in reference to a committed partner your boyfriend girlfriend significant other or it can be the person that you're choosing to engage with in that moment anywhere on that scale that person does not care about what your body looks like if you are going to engage in sexual activity with them they don't they never have they never will i want you to name one time that you were having sex with a person and thought about their love handles (sighs) if you can do that then we need to we need to pivot because <laughs> most people can't do that. Yeah. So it's all in your head, 100%. Take it away. For me, that was really freeing. I think that if we're taking it out of the bedroom and just thinking about being sexy. What do you do to feel sexy? I think that you need to get in touch with your sexual self. How? I think figure out what kind of sexual person you are. Mm. And that can be whether or not you're intending to have sex with someone or engage in that whatsoever. What fulfills you? What makes you happy? What gets you off? All of those things, I'm going to tell you right now, are like not going to change. Sometimes like we're kind of just hardwired in certain ways. They're not going away. They're not going away. So if you're the kind of person that feeling sexy comes from you spend an hour getting ready, even if there's like no one there who's going to spend that hour getting ready, if that makes you feel really good, finding the things that make you feel good and really shamelessly making space for them and making sure that you do them. And then also I I think identifying the things that don't make you feel good Mm. and having no problem say no to that. I love clothes. I love outfits. I'm not like a huge fashion person, but I know what I like when it comes to clothes. And I know that not everything that I like looks good on my body. And I know that not every brand that I like goes up to my size. And I don't like it when my clothes don't fit. And I don't like it when I feel like they don't 
flatter me. And so even though I love it on this other person, I don't wear it. And I make sure that all of my clothes and all of my outfits, that they fit me well. I'll go to a tailor. I'll spend the money if they need to be tailored to me. I will buy pieces that I think are really good investment pieces and make me feel really good. If I love something, I'll buy it in like six different colors. Because I know that I feel sexy when I feel comfortable and I do not feel sexy when I'm pulling down my skirt the whole night because it's riding up because it's just a hair too small. And I absolutely do not allow myself any judgment whatsoever on whether or not my body fits the clothes. The clothes fit the body. And I let that feeling or that thought pass as fast as humanly possible. Ugh. We just got a low down. I love that. And I love you. And I love who you are. And I love the way you look. And I love the way I look. And I love me. And so love is in the air. I love you. Thank I love you the for way this you combo. Look. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you for having me. I could go on and on and on with you forever and ever. I well, really You'll could. be back. You'll be back. Amazing. Mwah. Mwah. My takeaway from this episode was get comfortable with the uncomfortable acknowledgements that might be holding a toxic relationship with you and your body in play. What was yours? Leave it in the reviews and please make sure to follow us on both Apple Podcasts, Instagram, and subscribe on Spotify. If you worry that you struggle with compulsive food behaviors, there are resources available to you. For more information, go to theclearheadedpodcast.com or see the notes for this episode. Talk next week.